Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. been a crazy week for me. I've been all over the map. It seems that on, on Monday or so, I was here in LA, but then I left for Phoenix, and I, then I uh, went to Phoenix and came back to LA, and then I went from LA to Houston, and then I went from Houston to Jacksonville, and I went from Jacksonville to DC, and last night I flew from DC home, and so it's been, it's been a crazy week, but, but maybe the highlight moment was when I was in Phoenix. They had the highest recorded temperature in their life, and it, it was 120 degrees in Phoenix, and I flew out of Phoenix with 120, and an hour later I was landing in LA, and it was 70. There was a 50-degree drop in temperature. I literally escaped from hell, and I <laughs> made it back to the promised land. And, and, you know, maybe you've had a bad attitude this week. Maybe you've been upset about the, the traffic, or you've been honking at people that are texting when they should be driving. And, but I, I want you to remember, you do not live in Phoenix. And so you should be overwhelmed with gratitude. And if you're here and you're our guest and you're from Phoenix and you feel offended, just remember, you're actually here in L.A. And that's why you're here. And, and, and we're so glad you, you joined us. This is an open invitation party. And I have friends that I, that I know that have, have never had an experience inside of a place that they would call a church. And and, and when I've invited them to come, they, they've said, you know, do you have to be a member or do you, is there an admission fee? And I, I love it. I tell them, no, no, we, we got you covered. We got you covered. Because this is one of the few places you can come and belong and be loved to find hope and meaning in your life. And, and it's all given to you as a gift. I, 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 I'll never forget the, the journey toward faith for me. I, I was around 20 years old when I came to faith in Jesus, and, and I did not grow up in a religious environment, or, and I never actually even visited a church in my entire life until I, into that moment where I actually came to faith. And that journey for me was so curious, because when, when you actually discover faith, people start trying to help you grow. And, and they gave me a Bible. They gave me a King James Bible, which was through, it was like Jesus meeting Shakespeare, and I was never big on Shakespeare, so it was really a challenge for me. And, and they told me, read your Bible every day. And they told me to pray, which is a really important thing. They said, pray all the time. Then they told me to memorize scripture. And then they told me to meditate. And they gave me all these spiritual disciplines that are actually really helpful. But one of the things that they didn't warn me about was so essential to our spiritual dynamic, our spiritual experience, our spiritual journey that... I thought I should take some time and give you a heads up. Because when people talk about Jesus, they talk about his miracles. I mean, they're, they're pretty awesome. 
He walked on water. I, I'd love to do that. He, he, he fed multitudes, thousands, with just a handful of fish and, and, and loaves of bread. He made the blind see and he caused paralytics to walk and touched lepers and they were healed and it was a beautiful thing. And, or they'll talk to you about Jesus' teachings and his philosophy and how he sat on the mount and taught the Beatitudes and, and how he would speak in parables and he would just download wisdom. But they never told you about how much Jesus ate. No one ever talks about that. I'm sorry, but if you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you realize Jesus did a lot of eating. They never prepare you for this when you enter in your faith journey. And, and you need to be careful because if you eat like Jesus but don't walk like Jesus, you're going to look like Buddha. And you have to be careful. But you'll you realize that Jesus spent a lot of time eating. And so if you're going to eat like Jesus, you've got to walk like Jesus. But one of the things that Jesus did a lot is he went to parties. And see, if you're more of, a, of an introvert like, like I am, and, and, and if you have struggled with, with social anxiety like I have, and, and if crowds terrify you like they do, somebody should warn you that when you give your life to Jesus, you have to spend your entire life with humans. <laughs> and that people who follow Jesus and fall in love with Jesus are actually party animals. They love throwing parties. Because they become like Jesus. And if you notice, Jesus was always at a party. I mean, most of the conversations you read about Jesus, he's at somebody's house at a party. Now, he didn't seem to have to throw the parties. He usually was invited to the parties. But if you're Jesus, you get invited a lot. And, and I think, you know, you might come and think, oh, they're going to teach me about God or, or uh, about you know, something really profound because, you know, there are theologies of, of God and there's a theology of, like, the Holy Spirit and a theology of, like, the end of times. And, but no one ever teaches us a party theology. See, I, I think that one of the most important things that you need to understand is that, that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you, know, you have to know how to throw a good party. And, and there's this one particular place where Jesus is at a party, and, and he, he begins to observe how everyone is acting at the party, and he realizes that they don't know how to engage properly at a party. So first he talks to them about how to act when you're invited to a party, and then he tells them how to act when you're inviting people to your party. So tonight, we're going to lay down a party theology so that you know how to party the way Jesus did. In Luke chapter 14, beginning of verse 7, it says, When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, right away, Jesus begins with with almost an incredulous presupposition saying, you might be invited to to a party where someone more important than you was also invited. I know this is hard to imagine. But you may not be the most important person in the room. And Jesus says you should always assume that you're not the most important person in the room. And I I think for the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and those people of influence and wealth and power that were sitting around Jesus, this was a really disturbing thought. And he saw them leveraging for the position of honor, trying to make themselves more important. And he says, look, when you go to a party, here's principle number one, go to serve. Don't go to be served, go to serve. Don't go to be something, go to do something. Don't just go so you can get something. Go so that you can actually give something. But what I love about Jesus is he actually assumes we're going to go to parties. Now, I don't know how it happened that somewhere along the line, people thought that if you had a faith, you could no longer party. And somehow faith and fun were mutually exclusive. But I'm telling you, if faith has destroyed the fun in your life, that's not faith, that's religion. It's false. Because Jesus doesn't tell us that to party, he tells us how to party. 
So stop trying to get the honor everywhere you go. Stop acting like you're the most important person in the room. In fact, take the posture that you're the least important person in the room. Take the posture of humility rather than honor. Because if you don't choose humility, what will happen is humiliation will choose you. I, I, I hate feeling humiliated. It's maybe my least favorite emotion. I, I don't mind failure as much as I, I, I fear humiliation. In fact, I might even say it's one of the things I fear. I fear being humiliated. Have you ever been humiliated? It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Have you ever gone to like a concert or like a, a ball game, baseball game, basketball game, and all you could afford were the cheap seats, so you're sitting way up high? And then as the event begins, you look down below and you see all these empty seats in the VIP section or some nicer section. Have you ever had that thought? I wonder if anyone would notice if I move from here to there. See, I've been in those moments where, where I, I've been in the less honorable seats. Way up in the nosebleed section. And I've been with people who are bad influences on me. And... And they saw the open seats down below. And this has happened in the past. And, and have, you ever, have you ever had someone say, let's go, let's go down there. But you know better. See, I want to go down there, but I, I'm terrified of being humiliated. I don't want to be the guy called out. See, I know if I go down there, somebody's going to look at me and say, you don't belong here. Like, can I see your tickets? I know it's going to be me. I'm the guy the usher is going to walk up to and say, can I see your, your tickets, sir? So I'm not going to go. Even if I want to go, I'm not going to go. But I've been with people who didn't seem to fear humiliation at all. And they were more determined than me. And they would say, let's go, let's go. And I go, no, let's not go. Come on, man. There's no one, there's no one sitting there. And, and even when the, 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 the first period or the first quarter or the first act passes, they go, come on, no one's coming. And I go, I didn't want to go. But they're just so persistent that, that they've actually won me over. And I've moved from where I belong to where I wanted to be. And I've gone down there. And there's something psychological about those people. Because I've gone down there with friends, and the moment they get in there, they act like they belong. They just step right into the seat, sit down. They just start enjoying themselves. They're not worried about anything. I can't enjoy it for one second. I know it. I know they're all looking at me, knowing I don't belong here. I keep looking for the security guard, the usher, the guy selling drinks. I'm worried about him. I think they're all going to come and humiliate me. And so I I can't enjoy it in a second because I keep waiting, and, and it's happened. I wish I could say this has never happened to me, but it has happened to me in the past. They would come up to me, and the thing I, I fear the most, excuse me, sir, can I see your ticket? And I just feel the overwhelming humiliation when I say, oh, these are not our seats. <laughs> it's like you're seeing them for the first time, and... You just put your head down. You don't make eye contact with anyone because you know everyone's glaring at you. We paid for our seats. You stole that spot. It wasn't your place of honor. And then you have the walk of shame. It was just a couple of months ago where Mariah, um, my, my daughter, is married to this amazing guy named Jake, and he's in a band called Laney. And, and Laney, last year, I think, was traveling with Ellie Golding, but this year they, they, they toured with uh, John Mayer. And so they were in town, and they're going to open up for John Mayer. And Mariah uh, said, "You know, we'll, we'll get you VIP tickets." And I thought, "Okay, that'd be awesome. I want to go." And, and so we went down and and went through parking. And I, you know, I said, "Hey, well, excuse me, wh- wh- where's the VIP entrance?" And you know, because I, I I needed to know where it was. I didn't want to go with the commoners. And, and so we went around the other side. We found this table, and and, and I said, "Is, is this the, the the VIP section?" And, and they go, no, this is that table right there. And then someone said, Pastor Irwin, all right, we go to Mosaic. We work here too. And I said, oh, that's amazing. And is, is this where you get your VIP tickets? And, and she goes, no, it's over here. It's over here. We have yours. And, and, and they gave us like these little badges, you know, VIP. And I said, so where do we go in? And she goes, oh, no, no, we're going to take you in. You're VIPs. And, and she led the way with her, her official badge. And we had our VIP badges. And, and she would go up to security and just show it to me. They have to slow it. She was showing the badge and point to us. And I just go, you know, yeah, VIP. And she took us through. And we went through different sections. And, you know, we're, we're just doing what, what VIPs do. And, and, and then she took us around the whole place. And she was, okay, this is, this is your section. And she took us to the door. And she goes, do you want me to take you to your seats? I said, we got it from here. 
We don't want to act like we're all that. We got it from here. So we went down into that section so close to the band. I couldn't believe where we were sitting. The seats of honor. And I belonged. They were mine. And I, I, I could have made a paper airplane and hit John Mayer. It was amazing. <laughs> and I was so relaxed because I knew I belonged. I didn't put myself somewhere I, I should not have been. And then it happened. It was like a nightmare. These people came down. And they stood next to me. I was on the last seat on the edge on the aisle where I wanted to be. And they said, excuse me, we think those are our seats. And I had this hot flash all over my body. There it is. This is what Jesus warned me about. This is why. But I knew, I knew I belonged here. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I think you're mistaken. These are our seats. I wanted to say, see, that, that's, that's our son-in-law down there playing the drums. These are my seats. And they, and they said, no, we think those, those are our seats. And I said, no, I don't think so. I actually argued. I pressed back. No, these are our seats. And he goes, well, and then they showed me their ticket. And it said our seats. And then I, I, I didn't want to look at my ticket. Because I thought, wow, they duplicated tickets. This is terrible. And, I, and Kim's like, honey, honey, we're in the wrong seats. We're in the wrong seats. And, and everybody around us looked at us with such shame and I just put my head down I couldn't even look at the people whose seats we took they came late how would we know and, and we had to do the walk of shame we had to go up and up and up and, and I just felt so horrible and then we got to the top and we said where are our seats where are our seats and, and I, was, I, was so, I, was, I was so humiliated I lost the tickets I left them down in the seats that were not ours and, and I, I, I couldn't go back so I sent, so, and so I sent someone, and I they, they go, we'll go and say, okay, go, please. And they went back looking for our tickets, and they found them. And, and then we went, and we were in the section over, and, and then we started walking down and, and down, and, and we had better seats. <laughs> and I went, you're right, those are not my seats. This is where I belong, 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 belong. I think there's something inside of all of us. We, we, we so desperately want the place of honor. We see the person in the limelight. We see the person who looks important. We see the person everyone's talking to. And we go, I want to be that person. I want that role. I want that spot. But Jesus says, look, the first principle in being a great guest is go to serve. Don't, don't, don't go to be honored. Go with a humility that says, I'm just here to make your life better. We, we throw a lot of parties at our house, a lot of events. We have a lot of people. And what's amazing to me is that there are people, even when we invite them to honor them, I find them in the kitchen. They're washing dishes. They're, they're setting things up. They're in vacuum cleaning. And I'm like, no, tonight's for you. And they go, well, thank you so much. And they just keep on working. There, there's some people you just cannot honor more than they're willing to serve. And maybe you're here like, I want to be invited into other people's lives. Wouldn't it be great to be invited into worlds that other people create? See, one of the ways to be invited is to be a person who's always investing in other people, who's always serving other people. See, if you're always trying to get the honor, a lot of doors are going to close to you. But if you're always trying to build into someone else's life and to serve them and to make their life better, you'll be amazed how many parties will open their doors to your life and your influence. But then Jesus shifts after he says, go to serve. He says, then Jesus said to the host in verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, when you throw a party, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbor. If you do, they may invite you back, and, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. When Jesus was describing this, the guy just couldn't help it. He just started thanking God for who he is. See, because when Jesus was describing what we should do when we throw a party... 
He's saying, there, you know, there are people in your life, your family, your friends, and I, I, I think it's interesting, he says, and your rich neighbor. Because you, you only have a rich neighbor if you are actually a rich neighbor. So Jesus is talking to people of influence. He's saying, I, I know there are things you need to do to make your life work, but that's not the kind of party I want you to commit yourself to because you need to know the difference between networking and love. You need to stop seeing people as a commodity to use to advance your own agenda and to build your own success and begin to open your life for the contribution you can make in other people's lives. So who... See, I know there are people out there. You ever notice there's some people, everybody wants to be their friend? See, I know people like that. See, there are people that are just so kind and, and sometimes they're influential and, and, and oftentimes they're really attractive and everybody wants to be their friend. You want to be their friend. But there, there's someone standing right behind them, right next to them. And nobody wants to be their friend. And you see, it, there's nothing unique about wanting to be a friend with a person who has a friend. But make friends with people who need friends is what Jesus is saying. Open your circle. Open your life. Make room in your life for people that you would never love except that you've come to know the love of God. See, that's one of the beautiful things. Yeah, let's just break out and applaud. That's one of the beautiful things about the church. Let's be honest. I mean, it's so easy to criticize the church. But let me tell you one thing that's different because of the church. Look around. There are people in this room you would never spend time with except because of Jesus. I mean, really, look at them. You wouldn't spend time with them. (laughs) See, it's only when we come to Jesus that we actually start coming to each other. You, You connect with people who are different than you. See, it's Jesus who destroys all the lines that separate us. It's Jesus who destroys the lines that separate us between race and color and economics and education. It's it's Jesus who actually brings us together rather than pulls us apart. So open your circle. Wherever you are. If you're on one extreme end, if you're far left, open your world to the right. If you're on the far right, open your world to the left. Open your life to people that you would never be open to except that Jesus was open to you. And this is supposed to be the natural outflow of what happens when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. I think one of the, 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 the tragic things that has happened in faith, and I don't think people were intending to create damage, but they did. See, so oftentimes when a person comes to faith, the people around them want to protect them. So they, they disconnect them from all the relationships they have. And so you just need to spend time only with people who believe. You, you know what you communicate to people? If you had friends before you believed in God, and then they're no longer your friends after you believe in God. What you're communicating to them is, I've come to know God and God doesn't care about you. See, if you have friends before you come to believe in God, you should be a better friend after you come to believe in God. And you should invite them to a party. Oh, my friends aren't open to God. No, it's because you keep inviting them to the most bizarre, boring expressions of religion. And why would they be open to that? Don't invite them to a 27-hour prayer meeting. I don't even want to go to that. <laughs> Invite him to a party. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone and said, you know, how do I help my, my kid be more open to God? She doesn't like church. Take her swimming. And explain to her, God created this ocean. <laughs> Take her surfing and go, you see, this is what Jesus is like. We keep trying to make everything that's morose and serious and depressing and boring the spiritual stuff. All the great stuff, all the awesome stuff, that's the stuff you have to do if you don't believe in God. Let me tell you, you can't enjoy anything that wasn't initially created by God. We need to start seeing 
the fingerprints of God in every beautiful, wondrous, enjoyable experience in life. There is a, a guy that Jesus chose to be in his inner circle. His name was Levi. He was an unexpected choice because he was a tax collector. Now, I know this is hard to imagine, but, but in the time of Jesus, people hated the IRS. <laughs> tax collectors were not popular. And, and it's not like today. Back then, they were corrupt. And, no, no, I, I, I meant that. I actually meant that. And so... If, so maybe we're still suspicious. <laughs> and, and the reason was because, you see, the tax collectors leveraged the power of the Roman Empire to force their own people to give up their hard-earned money, and they became wealthy on the oppression of their own people. So the tax collectors were despised by their people. And Jesus chooses one of them to be in his inner circle. In Luke chapter 5, Beginning of verse 27 says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I love that. This tax collector walked away from everything to follow Jesus. Then, this is the very next thing he did. Then Levi held a great banquet. That, that's code word for he threw a party for Jesus because he must have clearly known Jesus was a party animal. I mean, why would you throw a party for Jesus if you didn't think Jesus would go? Levi threw a great party for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. See, Levi threw a party and he invited all of his friends. So, of course, all his friends were tax collectors. Because the only people who would hang out with tax collectors were tax collectors. And Jesus. There were just two groups. Tax collectors and Jesus. And then he throws this huge party and he must have been known for his parties because he threw the party and everybody came. And he says he didn't throw the party for himself. He threw it for Jesus. Because he understood he was an intersection between everyone he knew who would never be open to God and the God who was open to everyone. And so it was through him that people came to know Jesus. But the Pharisees were there. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I don't think the Pharisees were invited. I think they crashed the party. I don't think they really knew how to party. I, 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 I think they were like so many people who are religious. They want to suck the joy out of life. When Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus looked at him and said, what are you talking about? This is exactly what I want. Look at Levi. He opened up his circle. He invited everyone. He had influence over everyone he'd ever had a conversation with. He invited them all to his house, and he's introducing me to all of his friends. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to open up our life to everyone and help them see the life that Jesus has given us. I wonder who you need to open up your life to, who you need to open up your circle to. This is make friends with people who need friends. When, when, when we were on our journey to faith, I, 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 I tried to remember, like, when were those moments that, that, that faith sort of, like, confronted me? But one of those was when, when my mom was new in her faith, but we were still searching for ours. Well, I wasn't really searching for mine. I was running for mine. But, but my brother and my sisters had uh, found faith, and my mom threw a party. And, and we lived in this little tiny apartment. And I don't know why, but, but she invited the pastor of the church and some of the leaders that were called deacons. And, and this was a huge church with thousands upon thousands of people. My mom is, is very unique, and my, she's just one of those people who stands out in a room. So she invited them to come over to her little apartment, and they came. And I thought it was amazing that, that, that these really important people came to our tiny little apartment, and they were having, it seemed like the best time in the world, but nobody was drinking the punch. And I remember my, the pastor came up to me. His name was Jim Hendry, and he was the nicest guy in the world. And he said, hey, Irwin. I didn't even know he knew my name. He goes, hey, Irwin, do you have any Sprite in the kitchen? He said, oh. 
We should have put out some Sprite. Didn't even think about that. And I said, I think we do. So I went to the kitchen. We had a little Sprite left over from the punch. And, and, and so I poured him some Sprite. And he goes, thank you so much. And, and then my mom came up to me afterwards. And she said, honey, could, could, could you taste the punch? Because no one is drinking my punch. And, and my mom made a famous punch. It was just renowned. And, and she was confused. She goes, no one's drinking the punch. And, and you see, my mom, you know, she would use a little bit of Sprite, like Hawaiian punch, and a lot of alcohol. And... <laughs> She'd mix it all together and make this great punch. And, and, and so she goes, could you, could you taste it? Make sure it tastes okay. So I went over to the punch and I had a little bit of punch. And I said, it tastes great. He's like, what did it always taste like? It's what I grew up with. And, uh, but well, we didn't know that the, the, these followers of Jesus, they were Baptists. And, and they believed in, in, in abstaining and they didn't drink any alcohol. And, and what I thought was amazing is not one of them ever told us that they thought it was wrong to drink alcohol. They just laughed thirsty. <laughs> and I realized that they understood that Jesus w- would go to the party of Levi. And I'm so grateful that, that they looked at us and said, oh, this is a tax collector party. We're not going to be the Pharisees. We're just going to enjoy the party with Jesus and love them to him. I, I, I wonder who are the people in our lives that, that we've maybe accidentally communicated to them that we're too good for them now. And we just need to open up our lives to them. So you need to be good at throwing parties. You need to get invited to parties. But you need to be good at throwing parties. You need to open up your life and bring people in. You know one of the greatest gifts you can give people is other people. One of the most beautiful things in the world, I used to throw a Christmas party and I would invite all these people that didn't know each other, that were in all these different fields when I was working in the business world, and I would say... My Christmas gift to you are the people in this room. Some of the most interesting people in the world are in this room, and I want you to meet each other. And what I found in my life is when I travel the world, when I've gotten to go to different places, the greatest gift I leave with is not the great food or the great geography or the great people that I get to meet. And then Jesus prepares them for what's going to happen next. Because if they open up their circle and begin to open up their life and they begin opening up a conversation about Jesus to people, they're going to get a lot of resistance. So in verse 20, in verse 16, going back to, to Luke 14, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, a party, and invited many guests. And at the time of the party, at the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But that they all like began to make excuses. Have you ever invited someone and they just started making excuses? In fact, I always know when it's an excuse, not a reason. Because if, if it's a reason, they just have to give you one. If it's an excuse, they have to give you several. It's true. Because if it's a reason, like, oh, I broke my leg. You don't really need to go, and I'm not feeling well. Right? You're just breaking your legs enough. Right? And so if you have a reason, you only need one. But they were making excuses, not giving reasons. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. Now what's amazing is 2,000 years later, the excuses haven't changed. <laughs> I have... Places to go, things to do, and people to see. So the first one said, I just bought a field. He was in real estate. So I just, I just bought a field and I have to go and see it. So I'm sorry, I can't, uh, uh, please excuse me. I'm not available. Another one just bought five yoke of oxen. He just bought his, his Porsche. I'm, I'm on my way to try them out. So you have to excuse me. I think it's amazing is the first guy bought land and didn't want to go. The second guy bought oxen, didn't want to go. But the third guy says, I just got married and I'm not allowed to go. That's what he says. I just got married, so I can't come. I want you to know if you're single, just be ready. Because that first year, you're just not available. You know what Jesus is telling him is... Let people say no for themselves. See, what, you know what I find so oftentimes is that we project on other people their disinterest in God. 
our fear usually becomes their no. And we end up saying no for people. So you be the yes and let them be the no. And let them give you excuses because everyone has them. And don't let the excuses terrify you. Don't let the excuses discourage you. Be ready for the excuses because we are full of excuses when it comes to God. But you have to have more resilience and more tenacity and more love than they have excuses. Because love should also always run further than fear and faster than doubt. So when people start telling you, I can't, I can't, I can't. But you know what's interesting? Every study I've ever seen, the number one reason people don't visit a church is because no one has ever invited them. Because we say no for them. Now, I, when I became a follower of Jesus, I started thinking about everyone that I could identify as a Christian before I became one. And I actually started tracking them down, asking them, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? I mean, I know that wasn't fair. I was like Rambo. I did. I tracked them down. I had a next door neighbor in Miami. His son was a pastor. I realized he knew Jesus. And I tracked him down in Tampa, Florida. Knock on his door. Here I am in my 20s. Can you imagine seeing this kid that now is a man knocking on your door? Say, I just want to ask you, why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? And I remember sitting in his living room. He was so happy that I'd found Jesus, but I said, why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? And he says, well, I told your brother. He said, that doesn't help me. Me and my brother didn't even talk. He goes, well, you know, we, we took your sisters to, to, to vacation Bible school. I said, what is that? And how does that affect me? I said, why didn't you ever tell me? We, we lived next door. We played together almost every day of our lives. Why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? You know what he told me? Well, I thought you were going to be a gang leader. Because <laughs> you're normal Latino. That's what we do when we grow up. But my brother's Latino too, so I don't understand it. And... You didn't tell me about Jesus because you thought I was going to be like a, at least I was going to be a gang leader, not just a gang member. Right? I should take that as a compliment. And if you thought I was going to be a gangbanger, you really should have told me more about Jesus. He's like, I'm so sorry. I tracked down these guys in this group like Young Life. Because I remember I used to go when I was in high school because I played football. I said, man, I went every Monday night. Why didn't you guys ever tell me about Jesus? And, and they were, one, they were shocked. I found them. And they said, we, we, we talked about it. You talked about talking to me about Jesus, but you didn't do it. You know what they told me? We really needed the football players there. Because you, you guys, when you were there, everybody came. So we didn't want to run you off by telling you about Jesus. So I got kind of mad. But I do remember one guy who actually told me about Jesus. I was in college, and it was a Saturday, and I went to play pickup basketball at the, at the gym. And this guy joined us, and, and I didn't know him at all. He didn't know us, but he was a really good player. And so we hung out and played ball for a couple hours. And afterwards, when we were leaving, we left the gym, and we were walking in the parking lot, and he stopped us. And I, I remember this now. He started talking to me about God, me and my roommate and some of the guys. And he started talking to us about Jesus. And it was the first time someone actually explained the gospel to me. And I was really offended. I was like, this just feels so inappropriate. That he's talking to me about God after playing basketball. We're all sweaty. I mean, I didn't know where it would be appropriate to talk about God. But it seemed like it should be sort of in a, in a religious environment. And so he just went on and on and talked to us about God. And I tried to be polite. And, and finally, I was able to get out of the conversation. He left. He invited us to an event on a Thursday night coming up that week. And I said, you know Never going to happen. And, and, and when he left, I looked at my room and I said, man, that was, that was kind of like, that was really um, inappropriate. That was kind of offensive, you know, talking to us about God after playing basketball. And my roommate looked at me and goes, I, I didn't think so. He goes, I, I, I thought that was really something. I, I found it really intriguing. I, 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 I'm really glad he did that. And I said, yeah. He goes, yeah. And I said, yeah, 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 me too. And, you know, and I... <laughs> Because it was a little strange. You know, I talked God in the parking lot. all sweaty. Just felt like it was wrong. And I remembered it was Thursday night. He said there was an event on Thursday night on campus in this building 
But I wasn't going to go. My roommate went because, you know, he was more into that stuff. But it was, you know, late that night and I didn't have anything to do. So I just sort of took a walk across campus and I saw that building. I thought, you know, I just walk that way, you know, and walked over that way. And, and then I thought, you know, I'll walk in the building, you know, and I, I walked down the hall where that room probably was. And I walked down that hall and, and, then, I, and then I saw the door of the room where they were holding this event. And it was one of those windows that's really narrow. You can barely see through it. And it was closed. And the hallway was empty. And I looked inside that window and I saw all these people. And they looked normal. They looked, actually, they looked happy. They were talking to each other and enjoying each other. And I was looking in thinking, wow, that looks, it looks kind of fun. It looks really good. And I, 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 but I couldn't open the door. Something inside of me just, it, I just, it just paralyzed. And I, and I, and I waited. I kept, I kept hoping somebody would see me. But no one did. And I, and I waited for a while. And I, and I, and I thought about it. But I, I just couldn't grab the handle. But, and I know something without any, any doubt. That if that door had been opened, I would have walked in. And if someone had been standing there and opened the door and invited me in, I would have come in for certain. But after staying there awkwardly for a while... I finally just walked away. And the people who knew me would have said, no, Irwin's not interested in God. He's a no. He's a hard no. They didn't know underneath my hard no was this desperate yes. So longing to find God, to find meaning, to find purpose, to find love, to find acceptance, to find community. Underneath all my no's was a desperate yes. See, let, let people say no for themselves. And, and even when people look at you, and you know, because we have people who come here to Mosaic who are atheists, who are agnostics, or Buddhists, or, or Hindus, or Muslims, or just angry. There are people here, their religion is anger, they're just mad. <laughs> and, and, and you know, what, what I've discovered is that when people say to me, look, I'm never going to believe in God, I'll just say, that's okay, because I'm always going to believe in you. And I think I can out sustain you. Because you don't have to believe in God for us to believe in you. We're going to love you no matter what. And we just decided a long time ago, we'd love for you to believe in the wonder of who Jesus is and what he offers you. But we're, you're going to belong here even if you don't believe. And, but you have to know people are different. People are different. Yeah, you, ever, you ever eaten with friends and there's one last slice of pizza? You have to learn how cultures are different. Because if there's like a Latino there and you say, hey, bro, do you want the last piece? I go, no, bro, I'm full. It's okay. I only had one piece. You had six, but it's okay. You know, you can have it. Because a Latino is taught by his mother, you don't ever take that last piece. And, and, if, and I know if you're Asian, you'd never say yes. If somebody said, do you want the last piece? say, oh, no, you know, I'm just honored to be here, you know. <laughs> And you just would never eat the last, but, but the white guy, he's just going to take it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's like, if you're the white guy, you just, you always get that slice of pizza, you know? And I know not to ask you. You go, yeah. <laughs> See, I think a lot of us, we, we think people are that way with God. It's like, no, people, they're, they're going to say no, because at first they, they don't want to be an imposition on your life. If you invite them, into your world, they're going to say no because they, they, they don't want to be imposed on you. They don't want to be forced on you. They don't want you to feel some kind of moral responsibility for them. It's only when they realize that you care and that you're a friend and it goes beyond that, that awkward invitation to just sharing life together. That's when that person will finally feel comfortable enough to say yes. And then Jesus tells us that the master... When he sent out his servants and they came back and said, everyone said no. <laughs> he says in verse 20, the, the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the country and country roads and country lanes and compel them to come in 
so that my house may be full. I love this. They, they, they came back and said, we've gone out, but no one has said yes. He said, go back out again and find someone who has a yes waiting. See, if there, if there are people who just keep saying, no, 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 maybe it's because you keep going to the person that you want, not the person who wants God. But I'm telling you, there's someone within the sphere of your life who today is desperate for hope, desperate for meaning. There's someone that you know that is drowning in their sorrow and in their despair. There's someone that you know right now that would just give anything in their life to belong somewhere and to someone. Maybe we need to rethink who we're inviting to the party. And they said to the master, we need you to know that that we've now gone out. And we've invited people, but, but there's still room. I think it's important that they knew the master cared whether the house was full or not. They knew this information would matter. He said, well, then go back out. Go to the lanes. Go to the roads. Go wherever you have to go and compel them. I love that word. Compel them. Do what you need to do to win them to love. You know, you don't, you don't compel people by forcing things on people. You don't compel th- people by condemning them or judging them or forcing them or coercing them. You compel them by living a life that's so fully alive that they want to know where you found life. It's love that compels It's hope that compels. It's faith that compels. It's when you wake up in the morning and you know you have a reason to live. It's when you wake up in the morning and you see wonder and beauty all around you. And people see you and they know there's something different about you. And when everything's falling apart, you can see how it's all coming together. And when everyone thinks it's dark, you see the light on the other side. When people look at you and they cannot explain your life, that's when you become compelling. So we need to set a new reputation. We need to become party animals. We need to have a party theology. We need to remove faith from this view that it's all about sadness and seriousness. It's morose and mundane and boring. And we need to be the people who are filled with joy, with laughter, with celebration, with life. I don't get it when people go crazy watching basketball or crazy watching soccer or crazy going to a concert and then they come to church and they're just so stiff it's like everybody's observing because you don't want to you don't want people to think you're weird and when you when you fall in love you don't care if the world thinks you're crazy Love compels you to do the wildest things. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, they started meeting all the time, celebrating life. And when we come together every week, you know what this is? This is a party. This is a celebration of life. This is why we worship. This is why we sing. This is why we shout. This is why we clap. This is why we are alive. And... And what the master says is, go until my house is full. We, sh- we should never settle for less than everyone. I-, I hear people all the time talk about, like, the church. Well, you know, you don't want the church to get too big. What does that mean? I've had people tell me that. Well, you know, you don't want Mosaic to get too big because you'll ruin it. All right, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cut it off right before you. You ever stood in line like at Salt and Straw or Jenny's? You ever stood in line for like an hour to get one scoop of ice cream that they overcharge you for? That you have to get on the elliptical for another hour and a half? 
Can you imagine standing in line for an hour and a half and they're just serving everybody and then when it's your turn, they go, sorry, we're closed. You go, what? What do you mean you're closed? I've been standing in line all this time. Except, well, you know, we're just serving ice cream. But I see all this ice cream there. I know. But we, we, have, we have our limits of how many people we can handle. And you just came in a little too late. See, anyone who, who, who thinks there's not room for one more person doesn't understand what Jesus thinks. Because for Jesus, there's always room for one more. There's always room for someone else. There's always room. That's why we're opening up South Pasadena and why we're opening up Venice Beach. And and people have been asking me, going, where where else are we going to open up a campus? Going, Orange County, Calabasas, North Dakota. I mean, getting all kinds of inquiries. Let me tell you, we're going to open up our campuses where people throw the best parties. That's where we're going. We're going to go where people are throwing the best parties and they're inviting all their friends and they've opened up their circle and they're letting people say no for themselves and they're making sure that there's room for one more person because they're never settling for less than everyone. We're going to go where the parties are because that's where Jesus goes. And you know, maybe, and maybe you're here right now and you didn't know that God was actually the source of life and joy and celebration. See, the only reason you have the capacity to laugh is because God knows how to enjoy life. And, and, and I want you to know that Jesus, when he stepped into human history, when he was crucified and buried and raised from the dead, he, he didn't do that just to set you free from all the negative stuff in life. He did that to set you free so you could experience all the beautiful things of life. He replaces despair with hope. He replaces fear with courage. He replaces emptiness with meaning. And one of the beautiful things that Jesus does is he teaches you how to live. He fills you with joy. And he brings you to the party. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic. To go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation. To become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.